0: Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Workplace MVP. Workplace MVP is brought to you by R3 Continuum, a global leader in workplace behavioral health and security solutions. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gassman.
1: Hi, everyone. Your host, Jamie Gassman here, and welcome to this episode of Workplace MVP. So substance abuse, according to the Society of Human Resource Management, is one of the last taboo subjects to be brought to the limelight as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. It is not that substance abuse on the job is new. It has been a longstanding issue or concern for workplaces, Why it has become a part of the mainstream conversation is due to the increased substance use as a coping mechanism amongst American workers in response to the stressors and challenges brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. The concern for workplaces is that as workers moved to a remote working environment, the employer's ability to see the signs of substance abuse became even harder. In fact, nearly one in three employers, so about 30% surveyed during drugabuse.com's August 2021 survey, indicated that virtual work has made it nearly impossible to ascertain whether an employee is drunk or high on the job. Now, going forward, with so many workplaces remaining in a remote or shifting to hybrid type working environments... How do employers find a way to identify substance abuse issues that m- may be present within their employees? And how do they create a culture that destigmatizes substance abuse disorder to create an environment where employees can feel safe to talk about what they might be struggling with with their employer? Well, joining us today to share their expertise and personal experience in navigating substance abuse challenges in the workplace are workplace MVPs, Dr. Brandy Izquierdo, Executive Director at SAFE Project, and Stacey Meyer, Vice President of Payer Relations for Athletico. Welcome to the show, Brandy and Stacey. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Good morning morning. So we're going to start out with our first workplace MVP. So Dr. Brandy Izquierdo, Executive Director for Safe Project. So tell me, Brandy, you've got an interesting story for how your career has taken you um, to being the Executive Director at Safe Project. Can you share your
2: story with us? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Jamie, I appreciate the question. It is a pretty interesting story. Um, uh, I can tell you firsthand, I never thought that I would be in the world of behavioral health. Um, You know, coming up, and especially in my career, I remember back in the day, everyone's like, where do you see yourself? You know, what are your aspirations? I'm like, I'm going to be the president of HP, Hewlett Packard, right? Um, I used to work for a voice and data communications uh, organization or company. And that was my first entry into um, corporate world. Uh, What's interesting about that is my substance use was lurking in the background. I am a person in long-term recovery. And my substance use really affected me in many ways. And I get, we'll go back, we'll go into that a little bit later of how you can find the signs and symptoms. I mean, and that's really what it is. You know, substance use um, or addiction is a disease, Uh, it blindsides us. And I can tell you firsthand that addiction is not a career move for sure. Um, But sometimes we end up uh, in the grips of addiction and don't really realize it. And what's interesting about that, Jamie is my entire career, whether it was the voice and data communications company or um, the construction industry, you know, I was in procurement and contracting. So I was doing a lot of different things. I used to work for a food industry as well. Um, That's a funny story that maybe I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, But, you know, I never ever um, talked um, in terms of addiction with my uh, colleagues uh, who became friends. And it just continued to progress um, day after day, year after year, to the point uh, that I found myself in a jail cell. You know, Mama four found herself in a jail cell. Still didn't think I had a problem at the time. Um, It was not until I went into a treatment center and was taught about the disease of addiction that there was an aha moment for me. And I realized that I was not alone, that there were other people out there just like me. Um, and that was comforting, as odd as that sounds. Um, it was extremely comforting because I felt a lot of um I, I felt a lot of discrimination um and stigma in the workplace. I mean, we spend quite a bit of time in the workforce. Um, I always say that, you know, our workforce is our extended family to a certain point if you build that culture. And it's unfortunate that we we sidestep and we just kind of leave it lurking in the dark. And don't talk about addiction in the workforce when it really impacts um, uh, just individuals and family members as a whole. So that was my story. I mean, in the bo- and just to end with this, um, found myself in the behavior health world, um, and that's where I am. And I've moved my career up, and now I'm the executive director of Safe Project, really trying to combat this in all different forums and all different within all different audiences.
1: Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And we're going to dive into some of those areas that you kind of touched on in a little bit. But before we go there, tell us a little bit about what Safe Project does.
2: I think the question is, what does Safe Project not do? <laughs> 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 and Stacey can probably talk about that a little bit more. We work very closely together. Um, Safe Project does a little bit of everything. And I can tell you, we bring our expertise from an organizational management standpoint and a behavior health standpoint. We have a lot of organizations within the arena of behavioral health that do really great work, but it's important for us to move that work outside of just the behavioral health arena and into the general public. So SAFE Project really um, was, it began actually with Admiral Winnefeld and his wife, Sandy, who lost their son, Jonathan, to an accidental overdose um, in 2017 on a college campus. So their hearts are near and dear uh, to this topic and this subject. And rather than sitting idle or bawling up um, uh, around grief, they really wanted to take action so no one else would have to deal with this or struggle with the pain of losing their son. So they started the nonprofit um, Safe Project and it is um, actually built around different targeted audiences uh, including safe campuses, safe communities, safe veterans and as we're talking right now, safe workplaces. And it, then it is fueled by six lines of operation I won't go into a ton um, because I know you're going to ask me at the end how to get in contact with us. So I want to leave leave a little mystery there. But, you know, just certain things like public awareness, prevention, um, uh, criminal justice and law enforcement, uh, family support, we do an array of things uh, to help uh, communities and workplaces and other targeted audiences and stakeholders find their place in this addiction epidemic and start to combat it through, uh, in tandem.
1: Wow. You, you really do cover kind of all the bases for areas that you mentioned a few that you hear very commonly are highly impacted by substance abuse. So looking, you know, at what safe project does and your role within safe project, how does your personal experience in dealing with substance abuse and, and, you know, working through recovery in, in a program, how does, how does your personal experience help you in your role?
2: Well, I think uh, my personal experience. I mean, I always front lead with my personal experience. It's important to understand that, you know, we can have all the research and the data in the world, but the reality is, when we're talking about over a hundred thousand Americans who are losing their lives to the addiction epidemic, these are not just numbers. They are family members. They are friends. They are colleagues. So, bringing that personal experience in and and having the ability to navigate. Stigma and discriminatory practices in all different arenas and all different settings, not only allows me uh, to do the work that I do and and what Safe does in general, but it also allows me to pull from my personal experience and share that story and and really tug on the heartstrings of people to know that this is not this is not just a public health crisis that we can rely on the government to to mitigate. It's really important for us to understand that it's it's us as a whole us as Americans coming together and unifying, um, to stop this addiction fatality epidemic that's happening.
1: Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, and looking at that, you know, the epidemic of, of this, you know, how big is the problem with substance abuse on the job in your opinion? I mean, as particularly looking at over the last two years where we know people are suffering and the ongoing stress, I mean, how big has it become even since that?
2: So I guess uh, You know, the one thing that I have to talk about is it's bigger than we are choosing to acknowledge. Um, Quite often, you'll see a lot. There's a huge ripple effect from COVID. There's a lot of conversation in terms of mental health and mental well-being. Uh, But the other area that we don't necessarily want to talk about in the workplace is the addiction. And I think a lot of that derives from fear. Uh, Managers, uh, leadership not really wanting to address the issue. It's their problem, not ours. Uh, and assuming or trying to operate under the assumption that addiction stops at the front door, and it doesn't. So we're starting to to create some leeway and and really create some forward-leaning movement in terms of addiction. But you can only um, talk about a problem if you're willing to acknowledge the problem. So I think that's why we're here today um, to really talk about that portion of it. How do we acknowledge the problem to really get a handle and a hold on what it looks like in the workplace environment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're talking about like employers that want to turn a blind eye or oh, it stops at the door, it's not coming into my work environment. And we know that it is. What what impact ultimately is that going to have on an organization when they're not, you know, staying aware of that potential?
2: Well, we're seeing, you know, it used to be the great recession. Now it's um uh the great resignation, right? Um it's really about the health and well-being of organizations. I mean if we look at it from a bottom line and I'm not going to take too much because I in in that conversation because I know Stacy can talk quite a bit about that. But you look at increased healthcare costs, right? Our healthcare costs are going going or they're skyrocketing. Um we're looking at uh reduced uh productivity. So individuals are not producing as much. We have higher employee turnover rates and then on top of that increased workplace injuries. I mean and that's just what we can count right? It's not really talking about the emotional well-being and the and the health and wellness of the individual employees and their families. And it's important that we talk about that that aspect of uh, addiction and you know Stacy or, or not Stacy sorry I was looking at Stacy she's so beautiful. Um Jamie it's pretty interesting too um when we talk about the health and well-being of of the families uh we have to talk about the holistic approach, right? Not just the mental health um, aspect of things, but the root cause um, as far as mental health, but also what are the symptoms associated with mental health and wellness. And quite often um, addiction is is a component that we don't wanna talk about. And if we look even at organizations who choose not to address the addiction epidemic, I kind of compare that to um, sexual harassment in the workplace. We don't ever want to believe in an organization that there's sexual harassment going on, but we are willing to train on it. We're willing to have those conversations and we're willing to expose it. We need to do that same type of education and resource sharing in workplaces.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's a great idea. I've not actually heard that shared in terms of like educating on substance abuse or some of those other areas that kind of drive some of this behavior. So looking at you know, obviously you kind of mentioned, you know, a lot of employees, it's not like they choose that to be something that they do. Um, it, 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 there are things that, you know, maybe happen or reasons. Sometimes I've heard, you know, it's hereditary. Their father was that way. Their mother was that way. It's kind of followed generation after generation, but from what you've learned in the work that you've done, what are some of the reasons that an employee might develop a substance abuse, uh, disorder?
2: Well, there can be various reasons. And as you just mentioned, one of them could be genetics, you know, um, whether it's um, the disease of addiction being passed down from generation to generation, it could be workplace injury. Um, It could be uh, just trying to numb the pain of something that's happening in your personal life. There are various reasons, you know, it just could be just to get away um, from everything and not think about anything because there's so much going on in the environment today. Uh, And there's also a loss of connection when we think about it um, in terms of COVID. You know, the opposite of addiction is connection. And unfortunately for many, there's a lot of lost connection. And quite often individuals um, as they grow up and as they enter into the workforce, they don't necessarily have the coping mechanisms or the skills to navigate that lost connection. So quite often you'll find that people will turn to substances um, to get out of their way, to celebrate, um, to deal with grief, uh, or loss. So there are various reasons that individuals end up, um, having a substance use disorder. So it's important for us to understand all of those different avenues and how they are a catalyst into full, uh, full-blown addiction. Yeah.
1: And in looking at that, obviously, if, you know, being there's all these different ways that somebody might start to, to develop a substance abuse addiction, what are some of the warning signs that like an employer or a coworker or even a family member or a spouse could be looking for that might help to identify that somebody is is kind of going down that path?
2: Well, I think there are there are various signs, and I I, want, I tend to be cautious um, in in telling what these signs are because then we operate under the assumption that if someone uh, comes in like that, oh my goodness, they have an addiction. And that isn't necessarily the case, but if it's habitual, uh, lateness, um, habitually, uh, calling out of work, um, lost productivity, um, lack of engagement, or just a shift in personality, there are all different aspects in terms of addiction. Um, we've seen, or we've heard in the construction industry, for example, individuals who are out on site might go into the spot-a-potties and be there for quite a while and do this consistently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or um, signs that they're they're sick, perhaps they aren't able to use on the job. So um, they may end up going into detox. Um, and obviously the the, the uh, drug uh, testing, which I'm sure Stacey can talk about more in that aspect too. I mean, that's a real real sign there, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there are all different aspects of of addiction that come into play. And it's important for us to have a culture or at least build a culture where if you do have a problem that you don't have the fear of saying, hey, I may have an issue or teaching colleagues and friends to approach someone in a really compassionate and empathetic way and say, hey, I think maybe there, there might be an issue here. Could we talk? Mm hmm.
1: Great. And I know we're going to get in a little bit later in this conversation talking about some of the ways that an employer can create that culture of openness. Um, but in looking at like some of the signs from a remote, because it's, you know, I, I would imagine for an employer or a colleague, it's a lot easier in if you're in the office or you're working side by side to notice a change in your coworker. What are some of the things, you know, with this new remote and hybrid kind of work environment, which You know, it's not new for some employers, right? They were remote way before COVID happened, but I think the majority of employers, this shift is new. So how can they start to look for signs in kind of that remote environment? What are some things that you would recommend?
2: That is definitely a tough question. It's much easier to hide um, your issues or your addiction when you don't have to see people face-to-face. I mean, the obvious one is alcohol. Uh, and I can speak to that firsthand. One of the one of my issues um, in terms of addiction was alcohol use, and I tell you, when I was working in procurement, I felt like I hit the jackpot because I worked with vendors, and I would go out for lunch, and you know, legitimately have have the ability to drink during lunch, right? So it's we we're not smelling that, so our normal senses are not there anymore. It's really navigating this environment or this virtual environment. And what that looks like, again, for for any employer, some of the signs uh, of substance use may be that, again, they are they're not showing up to meetings on time. You know, perhaps they were a 15 minute early person when they would show up to meetings and now they're disheveled when they come one line or maybe they're canceling meetings or maybe they don't start their their meetings until uh, really late or perhaps you can't get a hold of them. Or they're not answering emails as uh, quickly as they typically would. It's really, again, difficult to navigate the remote environment, which is why it's so important, um, as a matter of fact, imperative, that we have create these cultures where individuals feel safe and comfortable having those conversations, both from a leadership perspective, but also an employee-to-employee relational perspective.
1: Great! I know we're going to dive a little bit more deeper a little bit later in some other areas as well. But for right now, let's shift over to our second workplace MVP, Stacy Meyer, Vice President of Payer Relations for Athletico. Welcome, Stacy. Can you take a moment Thank you, to sh- Jamie. yeah? So take a moment to share with us your career journey to how you've moved up your career um, path um, in becoming the Vice President of payer Relations.
0: Sure. So I'm actually clinically trained as a chiropractor, and um, Athletico is a large physical therapy and occupational therapy company um, in multiple states, primarily in the Midwest and now on the East Coast. And I um, no longer practice currently, but when I made that shift, some life changes happened, and I went uh, to a large payer. I worked for Aetna for about 10 years, and then a a smaller company after that in the Medicare Advantage space. And and my time and kind of my journey to to get to this point, I I had several different um, positions. I worked primarily in payer relations, provider engagement. And as as value-based care started becoming, and accountable care started becoming more predominant um, in my time at Aetna, we learned that in order to help support healthcare providers to be successful in that space, we had to bring a lot more resources to them. And so I've also done a lot on the population health management side of things. And I think that's where, um, particularly in the relationship with safe project really overlaps because when we think about treating a patient and caring for a patient, that holistic approach is so important. You, you cannot, um, compartmentalize or disconnect, you know, behavioral health challenges with physical, from physical health. And so that's um, really, you know, kind of how I, how I got to this position and, um, and what the work is we're doing now.
1: Great. So, and I know you've kind of touched a little bit on what Athletico does. Can you dive a little bit deeper into kind of the services you provide and the type of work that you do?
0: Sure. So um, as a physical therapy and occupational therapy provider, we treat lots of different patients in different conditions. but as Brandy mentioned, you know one of our our big um, lines of business, if you will, that we work with are injured employees. And in the therapy space, there's a lot of information and research out there that talks about um, if patients can be managed early on from a workplace injury with um, hopefully not exposing them to you know an opioid or, or possibly addictive substance from a pain perspective that, you know, there's, there's just, uh, there, they recover much faster, um, less cost to the employers, but also, you know, to the employee just feeling better, less risk of being exposed to other types of, um, care that could be more costly or more of a concern.
1: Yeah. I, and you kind of touching on an area that I know pre COVID, I, I just remembered the, 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 uh, opioid pandemic, you know, and, and, you know, employees getting injured on the job, being prescribed an opioid that they become addicted to that snowballs into their use of gateway drugs and, and kind of becoming even more of a problem. Um, so it's, it's great to see that you're, you're trying to find alternative methods to kind of supporting those employees without having to use, um, a strong substance like that. So, now, talk to us a little bit about the work that you're doing with Safe Project, and how are you leveraging the various programs and initiatives that they have um, for workplaces? Sure, it's um, you
0: know I, I think the partnership has been a great opportunity. Number one, um, in, in sort of two different facets, right? Obviously, we are a, a decent sized employer, and so looking at our own employees and what we can do to. As, Brandy mentioned, you know, create the culture. Um, you know, really focus on making the work environment a safe space to to talk about you know addiction if, you know, if folks need to. And so one of the things with Safe Projects we partnered on is their No Shame Pledge, just creating awareness within our own workspace with our own employees and and really promoting that, that, you know, our culture is meant to be one of openness and that employees can talk about this in a safe space and and hopefully be directed to resources and find a support within their organization. The other piece to this that I think is um, really important, again, is because we are such a large healthcare provider And we have an opportunity to touch patients in a different way. So I think creating the awareness within our own employees, which therefore can carry that onto patients, you know, whether it's putting up our, you know, no shame pledge, you know, um, certificates and things around our offices so that folks, you know, may ask about it or we can talk about what that is. And then also with safe project having other partnerships and other, Um, resources that we've been able to tap into, you know, things like being able to put um, at-home drug disposal kits in our clinics, in our own offices for not only employees, but also patients. Again, we try to, you know, educate them about their physical health journey, about their pain management journey, and, you know, the opioid if they've been prescribed one, and how to try to you know, mitigate those risks if, um, you know, we can get them feeling better and and hopefully to pain free, making sure that those things are not still in their medicine cabinet, um, either for the opportunity for themselves, for a younger generation. So that's really been, you know, helpful, like I said, not only as an employer, but also as a healthcare provider, just helping to create awareness and tap into some of the other resources that Safe Project has been able to help us with.
1: Wonderful. And so like, and obviously looking at the trending, you know, from the work that you're doing with injured employees, but then also within your own work environment, are you seeing some of the increase in trends as well to some of the individuals maybe using substance abuse as a coping mechanism? Yeah, so
0: um, you know, I don't have as quite as much access or insight into that, probably as our HR and obviously you know mm-hmm. privacy privacy issues right. there. But I think that, it's been very interesting, you know, even with the no shame pledge, just the awareness, you know, and, and I think it kind of goes to, too, like, as, as Brandy said, talking about the fact that most people know someone, you know, they have a family member. And, and while it, even if it's not them, knowing now, too, that there is a safe space to be able to talk about, you know, the support that they've needed or their own experience to try to educate folks to say, you know, this, this isn't um, isolated events, we're all touched by this. And again, I think just really create that awareness, you know, it's it's hard, I think, for, for some folks to be able to, to share in that environment. But usually, once they've, they've known that this is a, a cult part of our culture, it becomes much more comfortable to at least create awareness. And, and you see these folks um and i know brandy can speak to this how folks come up and then say oh you're in recovery well so am i right and maybe they didn't mm-hmm. talk about that before and i think that's been just in itself again that that acceptance piece knowing that they're mm-hmm. not alone and that isolated and this should should be something that we should be able to talk about or support
1: yeah absolutely i mean i see you know individual you know people that i follow on facebook you know really open about their recovery and you know, and, you know, taking that moment to celebrate their milestones in that journey that they've been on. And I always just find it really, um, kind of inspiring to watch their stories and, and how, um, you know, I think, you know, part of their recovery is sharing. So others don't feel alone. And so it's great that you create an environment within the workplace, um, where employees can feel that support from their colleagues, um, how have your employees responded to that? Because obviously rolling something like that out, um, you know, how did you do that? And how did the employees respond to it? What did, it, what, what did that look like? Sure.
0: So, um, well, how we did it, and obviously that was a lot with Safe Projects help, having had that experience and, and trying to, as Brandy said, move this from behavioral health out into the real world. Um, you know, we did a lot of promotion internally, like a lot of organizations, you know, we have an internet, we have social media channels and, you know, just getting our, our leadership teams, our, um, internal communication channels to promote that message. And, you know, we would take pictures with our no shame pledge certificates and just really, um, you know, the, those are the kind of things, right? That's how we we get the word out on these type of things now, and folks can really appreciate and start to have the conversation. I I think the um the response that we saw, and and I'll couple this again, like with the drug disposal. I, again, it's just those things, those little things, but they're tangible things that the employees see as you know, wow, this we really are doing something about this. We're not just you know, it's not just. Um, putting putting words to it. And that also, because again, that was also made available to patients, I think it created a more intimate setting for clinician-patient relationships, um, knowing that, hey, this is something that Athletica supports. They understand the risk that could be associated with this. And, you know, as a patient, I appreciate them sort of going the extra step as well as just, again, individuals being able to utilize, you know, we, the drug disposal bags and, and being able to make sure that we're trying to be mindful of all the things that can impact, you know, this, this epidemic
1: yeah and i got to imagine that employees just by the nature of your the messaging the the internal communications around it the the actual taking initiatives like with the 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 ability for them to bring you know prescription medications they're not using anymore in Starts to create that safe environment that lets them know it's okay to be you, and we're here to support you no matter what. And I think that's so important. And that's just you know, kudos to you and the team for for putting um, putting that in place. Great,
0: thank you.
1: So we're going to take a moment to hear from our show sponsor. Workplace MVP is sponsored by R3 Continuum. R3 Continuum is a global leader in providing expert, reliable, responsive, and tailored behavioral health, disruption, and violence solutions to promote workplace well-being and performance in the face of an ever-changing and often unpredictable world. Learn more about how R3 Continuum can tailor a solution for your organization's unique challenges by visiting r3c.com today. So now I'm going to do um, have some questions uh, for the both of you um, and kind of bring the two of you together in a conversation around some um, additional areas on this topic. So my first question is looking at how leaders can create that open environment for employees to feel safe in talking about substance abuse. Now, Stacey, I'm going to have you start out with that because you you've, you've implemented a program like that. So talk about some of the are there any you know as part of some of the the work that you guys have done in bringing those um you know that awareness of substance abuse and kind of that folk uh, that 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 support for employees how how were some of the ways that you kind of made it directly known that they could feel safe about talking about it Are is there anything particular that you did where Again, like messaging or anything that really was like, if you've got, you know, we're here for you or anything like that that might be able to be, you know, helpful for other leaders that might be looking at implementing something like this.
0: Yeah, I, I think that again, <clears throat> you know, promoting it like we did from a, a top down approach and and really um, making it, you know, a, a core tenet of things that we talk about and that we focus on. But but also pairing that with, and, and this is the challenge that a lot of employers are facing, right? When we think about employee retention, we think about <clears throat> wellness programs and, and sort of how we structure benefits. You know, this is something else that, that we did is, you know, being able to message these things and, and promote resources available to them, right? Whether, um, you know, we, we have, you know, phone numbers they can call to get additional benefits and support and get routed. You know, for counseling and things like that. So really, you know, making them just aware of their own employee benefits that are there should they have a challenge. Also knowing that we have a resource in addition with, you know, a company like Safe Project or a partner like Safe Project that if, you know, folks need more and additional resources, at least we can help point
1: them in the right direction. Awesome. And from your perspective, Brandy, in the work that you do at Safe Project and from your own personal experiences. You know, or if you're working with leaders yourselves in the programs that you're offering, how how can an employer create that feeling of safety and and you know and get employees comfortable with talking about substance abuse?
2: So again, that's a great question, and you know, Stacy had mentioned some of it, leading with the no shame pledge. Something as simple as a no shame p- pledge and taking a picture. We always say a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, so just having top leadership saying, hey, here, I identify that there's an addiction issue. Uh, it may not be here, but we want to make sure that you all are comfortable through pictures and selfies and using your own organization's social media platforms um, is a first step. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I also want to say, Jamie, is this takes time. You can't come in and throw a no shame pledge and expect everyone to, you know, not still have their own stigma if we look at lived experience or personal experience, um, as Stacey mentioned, m- nine times out of 10, someone in your organization has been affected by addiction in some capacity, whether it's directly or indirectly. So it is going to take time. And even with the partnership um, with Athletico, it has taken over two years for us to really work collaboratively and intentionally um, to continue uh, what, I'm, what I'm hoping. I'm, I'm going to put it out there and live, right? uh, is a long lasting partnership. Um, so that's number one. Number two, I think it's important for people to understand that even as individuals in recovery, you know, we can openly report history of substance use, but we do experience discrimination in the workplace. And we, you know, quite often there are lower levels of acceptance among our colleagues. Um, and that may be included, uh, Or or there may be inclusion of microaggressions, verbal and nonverbal, and environmental contempt. So it's important for us not only to deal with the addiction side of things, um, perhaps if someone is actively or inactively um, impacted by this, but also the recovery portion of it and what that looks like in the workplace environment. Um, And it's important for us to create a level of wellness where everyone can share their experiences. And just lastly, I'll give you a a prime example of an indirect uh, impact. We just saw an article come out uh, over the weekend where a 13-year-old, I think it was a boy, lost his life um, in in high school. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about the person who lost their their life um, in that high school environment. We have teachers and administration who are affected by this, if we look at it from a workplace standpoint. We have the parents who have jobs who have to go back to those jobs who are are directly affected by this, and family members and friends. So there is a ripple effect. So how do we start creating an environment that it's not an outside problem, but it's an inside an, an inside issue that we can cultivate and start to have those conversations? How do we support those parents and those friends um, in that environment? So the more we talk at it or talk about it at a leadership level. The more likely we are to have it um, uh, facilitated at an employee level.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and the, and then be prepared. You know, if you do end up in a situation like that where it's tragic, it's sudden, that you have the resources in place to be able to support those employees. Great, uh, great ideas and feedback and and points there. Um, if a leader, let's just say a leader, feels like they have an employee that has a substance abuse concern, um, how, how should they be going about a conversation with that individual? How should they approach that? Cause obviously there's, you know, you've got the great resignation. You don't want to single somebody out. You've got HR complexities. You have to navigate with that, but how can the leader who's, who's concerned, how can they approach that in a way that they can be effective, but also kind of compliant and, you know, all the other things that come with that. So Brandy, why don't you start with your, your thoughts around that?
2: Well, I think, and and again, this goes back to what I just said. It's very hard um, and it's going to take some intention in terms of cultivating a safe environment for people. Um, so it's going to be much easier to approach that issue once you've cultivated that environment. It's a lot, um, it, it's much more difficult to call, to have those, um, conversations if you haven't cultivated that safe space. And I think we'll start with that portion of it. Um, You know, that is your first opportunity or your first chance, not necessarily to address the addiction directly, but address the individual um, in terms of of what's happening in the workplace. Um, What can they do as a leader to support this person? Um, One thing I can tell you as a person in recovery Uh, I really pride myself on on developing the skills of accountability and responsibility. Um, And quite often when you're in active addiction, you're still developing those skills of accountability and responsibility. So as a leader, just being prepared that there may be some defense mechanisms that come up. Um, But just starting that conversation, uh, and quite often that may be the start of what I like to call the Monty Hall approach from SAFE. The no shame pledge, um, the at home, uh, we utilized Terra disposal bags. The more you have those types of signs in your workplace environment, the more likely people are to let their defenses down and start those conversations, even if it's something small, right? So you may want to start in that way. You may not necessarily want to single that individual out. You may want to make it a collective effort, where you like you would in in uh, sexual harassment. I can tell you in the corporate world, there are many a times that I've sat in those classes where it's everyone included in that conversation. And then perhaps, you know, that will will fuel up or or filter um, what's really happening in that workplace. But again, anything that you're doing in terms of conversation or addressing an issue in terms of um, addiction, it's really meeting it with compassion and empathy and understanding and diminishing or, or at least minimizing the fear associated with their job.
1: Awesome. Stacey, anything else to add to that question?
0: So I, I think that, you know, even in my role as a manager, you know, when you, when you work with people, any tough conversation, right, that you need to have, whether it's based on performance or, or something going on with them, having that sense of trust, is, as Brandy said, having that empathy. And um I'm actually going to feel this a little bit because I think Brandy is the one who, who shared this with me originally is, you know, when we think about addiction too is, I think there's a certain amount of education that we have to be responsible for in the corporate world in that this is a disease. This is not something that folks typically choose. It is, um, you know, truly a physical and mental health problem. And if somebody comes to us because they're you know having challenges of performance because they're undergoing treatment for some other health condition, use cancer as an example, what do we approach it with? But you know empathy and understanding, and obviously that's their their private condition that they don't have to share. But I think being able to understand and being compassionate about that situation, I think that's also, you know, a big challenge and something that as leaders we need to keep in mind because, you know, we we would treat somebody with a healthcare condition, with compassion and empathy, no matter what, and we need to be thinking about addiction in the same way.
1: Great, great advice. Now, looking at, we're we're now into 2022, we're still dealing with some of the same COVID um, challenges um, that we've been dealing with for the last couple of years. And some people are really starting to weigh on a lot of individuals. Um, what are your, your thoughts around trends in what substance abuse might look like in 2022 compared to how we've been at, how we've seen the increases over the last two years? Do we anticipate it's going to continue to climb is it really imperative that workplaces take action now? You know, what are some of your thoughts around that as we now enter this, this new year? And we'll start with you, Stacy.
0: So that's actually something that, um, particularly in the work we do with patients and some of our value-based care work, there's really good and strong indication that, um, you know, one of the leading indicators when we think about pain management and just musculoskeletal health, is that folks get, um, you know, unfortunately get prescriptions a lot of times before they get sent to therapy. And this is one of the metrics that we track from a cost perspective. And it really is eye opening where we work with other employers, right? And not just ourselves, but um, is work with other employers to help with their musculoskeletal management to say, look at your cost trends, look at the number of prescriptions. When we start monitoring those leading indicators as we help to um, manage their patient population, trying to get folks into therapy earlier, there's a lot of states where they don't have to be referred for a physician and just educating, um, you know, employees that that is an option. And it's usually much faster to get care and get them pain free. But really, we we all know um, the money talks, so to speak, so getting employers to even look within their own data when it comes to their health plan benefits, their workers' compensation spend, and those are some of the things that we look at when we partner with them and and focus on how do we help um, really impact in a positive way. And of course, one of those things is cost to start with, and that in itself is very eye-opening for them. So I think that is one way that we can can help or that we
2: have been helping.
1: Great. How about you, Brandy?
2: So if we're talking about trends um, and what the trends for 2022 look like, um, unfortunately, it's very gloomy because Mm -hmm. we are seeing um, the overdose rates rise um, unbelievably exponentially. As a matter of fact, um, we're at over 100,000 deaths which is about 275, I, I don't do math very well um that's my not my expertise uh people a day so that up from 96000 um i think it was from march um 2020 to march 2021 and then the new results came in in april and we're only seeing it um increase uh throughout america so we can't sit here and say that those 100 over 100000 people Aren't in the workforce. We know that they're in the workforce, right? Restaurant industry, for example, is a huge, um, a, a huge arena for uh, substance use disorder. We see it all the time. So, to you know, the trends are there, um, and they are going to continue to rise in terms of, of deaths and numbers. What we're also seeing, um, and I know many people have heard of it, is fentanyl. Fentanyl is out there. As Stacy mentioned, um, there are a lot of different aspects to uh, the data and the numbers, um, whether people are being prescribed pain medication or pain management. Um, they're not being offered the alternatives initially, uh, it may be in conjunction or after the fact. So um, they may not have access to that pain management um, or those prescriptions based on, uh, you know, a state by state scenario and how they're they're reported to the state, all of that. So there may be blockage there, which then leads individuals to go to street level or illicit or just trying to find other alternatives um, while they're already hooked. We know it takes about five days to get hooked to opioids. So it's important for us to know all these nuances associated with addiction and be, um, you know, familiar with what's happening out there in the environment so we're not blindsided by it. Because this is not just an opioid issue. It's an alcohol issue. It's um, an Adderall or any other um, street-level pill that is being laced with fentanyl. It's taking people out. I just lost a very close friend uh, over the weekend. So it happens on a consistent basis, and we need to be aware of it. And employers, um, if employers actually uh, care about their employees, now's the time to act. So and I was like, sorry for your loss, because
1: obviously it has to be really hard, especially with the type of work that you do and trying to reach out and help individuals with that ahead of time. Um, but if we're looking at giving advice to an employer and trying to help them now with what they need to do first, so let's say they want to take action, what would you recommend that they start with at least at a minimum as we going into this new year? Brandy, we'll start with you.
2: So I think at least a minimum, and I know I've said it and probably sound like a broken record, is really um, something as simple as that no shame pledge. You know, taking that no shame pledge from the top down or bottom up, um, that at least will start the conversation or at least ease everyone's mind when more in-depth conversation comes. That's number one. Number two, um, ensuring that everyone understands the, the benefits plan. Uh, that is associated with employment in terms of addiction or substance use disorder, as well as mental health. I think that's um, another aspect of it. Um, You know, even starting something where, hey, let's have a committee on the different aspects, substance use and and mental health um, wellness in the workplace, to have that conversation. One of the best things that you can do is create employee buy-in when you're talking about change or introducing change into a workforce environment. So having those employees drive that conversation um, may be helpful as well. And finally, I think just creating that culture of compassion and empathy. I got to drive that home Uh, because the more understanding you are, um, the more likely I am to approach you and have these conversations. And then finally, if you do also create an environment where individuals come out of the woodwork in terms of recovery, be prepared because they're going to talk about it um, and we need to be prepared to say, Hey, that's interesting. Tell me more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so just creating those environments of, of love and compassion in the workplace, um, th- they're important.
1: Absolutely. How about you, Stacy? Any leave last ed- bits of advice you want to provide to the listeners?
0: Yeah. And I, I go back to kind of my previous comment. I, I think that, um, and Brandy and I have had this experience at conferences where folks think, oh, we, we don't have an issue or a problem <clears throat> in our workplace, right? This happens elsewhere. And that's where I would go back to um, for a lot of entities. If they really need to see some things in black and white, then they need to be looking at their benefit plans. They need to be seeing where, what services are being consumed and where. And in particular, when you look at pharmacy, what's being prescribed? Um, I think that a lot of them would be surprised. It's been our experience that they're surprised both in the number and the cost. And unfortunately, sometimes that's what gets their attention to start the conversation. But I, I think that that's probably another key element when folks are, are in doubt, they can they can look within their own company and, and where dollars are being spent.
1: Great. Well, you both were... Provided such great information and, and and you know advice for our listeners. If they wanted to get a hold of you and seek more information from you, whether about Athletico or the Safe Project, or have questions on some of the, the work that you do or that you've done, you know how can they go about getting in touch with you? And I'll start with you, Stacy.
0: Well, ha- happy to provide my my personal email um to, to share with folks, but obviously like most um, areas we have a website, athletico.com, that talks about all of our services. Um there's actually a lot of good materials, um short videos there about, you know, how to handle pain management, how to get into therapy. Uh, of course, in the world of COVID, we're doing a lot of virtual even assessments for folks so they don't even necessarily have to come into a clinic. And um, again, just materials that talk about, you know, how how to avoid more costly, either expensive therapies and or hopefully get them to a, a pain-free state or decrease their pain much faster so they can reduce the the need for other substances. Great. And how about you, Brandy?
2: Same with Stacy. I'm happy to report uh, my email, which I will. It's Brandy, B-R-A-N-D-E-E at safeproject.us. But more importantly, come on our website, safeproject.us. Um, in the beginning, you'll see the No Shame Pledge. I challenge everyone who is listening to take the No Shame Pledge. And then just dibble and dabble on our website. We have a ton of resources We have stories, um, and we have specific uh, uh, resources for each of our initiatives, safe campuses, communities, veterans, and safe workplaces.
1: Wonderful. Thank you both so much for being a part of this show and for sharing personal stories, the great work you've done in your your own workplaces and with other workplaces. Very inspirational and really appreciate the opportunity to celebrate both of you. So thank you so much for being on our show. Really appreciate you as guests.
2: Jamie, you're like my BFF now. I absolutely adore you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely.
1: Oh, I always love, you can always take another BFF. I am always up for that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, state to state. We should have BFFs in every state. That's how we do it. Agreed, (laughs) totally.
1: Yeah, Yeah, thank you for the opportunity.
2: Absolutely.
1: And we also want to thank our show sponsor, R3 Continuum, for supporting the Workplace MVP podcast. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you've not already done so, make sure to subscribe so you get our most recent episodes and other resources. You can also follow our show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Workplace MVP. And if you are a Workplace MVP or you know someone who is, we want to hear from you. Email us at info at workplace-mvp.com. Thank you so much for joining us today and have a great rest of your day.